The plan is to build a winterized tent city on a vacant lot that will house 2,000 migrants. The city of Chicago's decision to build the migrant tent base camp in the Brighton Park neighborhood is just like every decision the city has made in the past year concerning the migrants pouring into Chicago. It's a decision made in crisis conditions that's pitting Chicagoan against Chicagoan. That tension, that divide, has spilled over all across the city. In the Brighton Park neighborhood, a Chicago alderwoman was assaulted at a a protest, and the anger continued to pulsate in a community meeting earlier this week. Good evening. My name is Juliette. I have been here for about a year now. I arrived here from my country, from Colombia. Seeing children without their parents, people without a roof over their head in the winter, this is temporary. Please don't hate us for trying to find a better life. If you're not putting a few people here, you're not putting 200 of 300 here. You're putting a few thousand. If they they could flip this area over if they want. So all residents live in this park have our right to know what is going on. And we have our right to say no. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Since last year, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been putting migrants on buses and sending them to northern cities. In Chicago, more than 19,000 migrants have arrived thus far, bringing the border crisis to this blue city. The crisis of how to house and care for the migrants has touched almost every Chicago neighborhood. But the frustration and sense of abandonment is especially acute in several of Chicago's black neighborhoods. Residents of Chicago's West Side Austin neighborhood say they've been historically neglected by the city. They've worked hard to create a thriving community center and field house called Amundsen Park. So when the city announced it would convert Amundsen Park to a migrant shelter, residents were outraged. In a recent meeting with city officials, residents packed the gymnasium, overflowing capacity, saying they are not opposed to immigration. They are opposed to losing a vital community resource that black children and seniors cannot do without. I... I have told the mayor this, I've told the superintendent of our parks this, and I will state it to the top of the roof. We cannot take resources from the black community, a community, not just this park, but any park, should not be converted to a migrant shelter. Mr. Glover, you're going to get an opportunity to speak. No, 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 no. Turn the mic on. We're tired of hearing politicians. Turn the mic on. Turn the mic on. Good evening, everyone. I'll show you how disrespectful this is. On the 5 o'clock news, they projected that the migrants would be here by Saturday. We're not anti-migrants, but this is so disrespectful for them to just sit up here with this crap and we're supposed to listen to it. People got to talk about the fact it's like, it ain't taking nothing away from you. It's enough for all of us. No, it's not. Now they're taking away an asset that people worked 30 years to put together programs that they're taking away from us. Black people, where the black mayor can't miss that point. I have an eight-year-old. He's been out here since he's been six. We have so many of this. This sports program goes up to 13 U. A lot of these young boys, they don't have fathers. So a lot of these coaches, they are their fathers. They are their father figures. 
It shows them how to be raised as black men in the community. But yet we come in a community of black people where we already get the low scraps. And then you want to take the little scraps, the resources that we have, and put us at the bottom of the barrel? That's not fair. And I won't have it because my son will be here. No. Turn the buses around. Mr. Trush, you got about Turn 15 seconds around. Now. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Beatrice Ponce de Leon. I'm the deputy mayor for immigrant, migrant, and refugee oh, rights. First of all, I want to say thank you for coming here. No, and every don't time, thank us. We could have been doing something else. I don't know if I, I want to make sure I understood your question. You're asking where will people go right. when they're here. Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that. Guys, can we give her an opportunity to answer Ms. Matthews' question, please? Okay. So people, the, the people that we're talking about are human beings just like you we and didn't, I. We know that. We know that. It is not us against them. We don't need you to tell us that. No, we don't need you. We don't need you to tell us that. We, it's not us against them. And that's the problem we don't care for. We don't care for that. We are oh. not insensitive. But we, 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 we got a problem with you thinking you would jam something down our throat. Okay. This is our community. And you just don't dump anything on us and expect us to accept it. Because, see, I want Mayor Brandon Johnson to understand that you're selling us out for people who can't vote for you. We are the voters. We stood with you. And now you stand and you slap us in the face. I tell you what, tomorrow, we're gonna punch you in the face at the polling places. We won't stand for this. We say no. Several moments there from the Amundsen Park community meeting in Chicago. At the beginning, you heard Alderman Chris Taliaferro of Chicago's 29th Ward, and the sequence ended with resident Kata Truss. You'll be hearing a lot more from her a bit later. Now, as for Mayor Brandon Johnson, he says the city of Chicago and state of Illinois have allotted more than a quarter of a billion dollars to accommodate newly arrived migrants. The federal government has spent a similar amount to support cities receiving migrants nationwide. Nevertheless, Mayor Brandon Johnson said at a press conference that he places responsibility for this crisis squarely at the feet of the Biden administration. The failure of... of of, of federal uh, policies is now impacting the people of Chicago in a very dramatic way. So today, we're going to take a look at that impact of the migrant crisis in America's northern blue cities. Well, joining us now is Kata Truss. She's a Chicago resident who lives in the Austin neighborhood. She's also a plaintiff in a lawsuit that's seeking to prevent the city from turning the Amundsen Community Center into a place that's housing migrants. Kata Truss, welcome to On Point. Thank you, Magna. I'm glad to be here Can today. you? I'm real grateful that you could join us. Can you just take a minute first to describe to me the neighborhood of Austin, like what's it like and, and why is the community center so important? The Austin neighborhood is a community um, full of working class individuals who have taken the time to put work in here in this community. And one of the reasons that Amundsen Park is so important to me is because it's been a vital part of the neighborhood that has helped to flourish 
our young people who have come through that park district and those various programs. Um, I have five, I'm the mother of five boys, all of which played football at Amundsen Park. All of them started out in that program. One of my sons went on to become all city, all state. He also went on to play for the college that he attended and graduated from. As a matter of fact, all five of my boys are college graduates. And so we are a community that has taken the time to pour into each other and to pour into that part and to pour into communities around us, our sisters and brothers communities. Mm. My husband and I are not just people who live in a community. We also ran a youth organization some years ago. And Amundsen Park is one of the uh, parks that we use to host baseball tournaments when we ran a baseball program. And so those, the, it is one of the crown jewels of this community. Mm -hmm. And so to see it um, potentially be lost uh, to migrants is a problem for me. Mm -hmm. And Can I also feel that the city, the state, as well as the Biden administration have not done enough to deal with this crisis. I think that there are other alternatives to dropping migrants in our parks, but I also know that there is a bigger picture here. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to that bigger picture a little bit later in the show because there definitely is a bigger picture. But can you? It's a little hard to follow. Things seem to be changing a lot in, um, regarding Amundsen Park. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong about any of this mistrust. First of all, uh, it seems as if has the plan to house migrants there been put on hold and is the community center still open? It has been put, the plans have been put on hold. The community center is open, but there are no programs being housed there. Uh -huh. um, the staff has been cut. I think they may have one or two people who are on staff that have the doors open primarily for people who might want to come in and use the bathroom. I think that's the only reason I could see for having it open. But no, the programs are not there. The programs have not been returned. And as far as we know, it is still on hold pending the court outcome. Right. Of the lawsuit that you're a part of. Yes, ma'am. OK. Now, you know, in the in the moments from that community meeting that we played at the top of the show, there was one thing that really stood out to me is that residents went out of their way to say they're not um, opposed to immigration or, or migrants, but the particularities of the history of the black community in Chicago makes this a moment where you heard folks say that they feel like they've already been at the bottom of the barrel and now they're just left with the scrapes. Can you tell me about about how why that is important to, to understand regarding the community's reaction? Well, one of the things that you have to remember is that most black communities in the United States have been disinvested in. Um, our people have been marginalized. Our um, education has been subpar at best. We've been underfunded, under-resourced, and this is historical. And so it is disheartening um, to see the amount of money that not just the city of Chicago, but the state of Illinois, as well as the federal government, has been willing to pour into the city of Chicago specifically for the migrants. We have been asking for and fighting for equality in this city, in this country, for as long as Black people have been here. And we have yet 
to receive our due. Mm. Miss so Trust, hang on here for just a second. So sorry to interrupt you. Don't mean to do it intentionally. We just have to take this quick break. We're going to hear a lot more from you um, and a city alderman as well when we come back. So we're talking today about the migrant crisis in America's northern cities, looking specifically at all that's been happening in Chicago. So we'll be back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're taking a close look at the migrant crisis in America's northern cities, specifically in Chicago. Uh, And I want to let everyone know that we did indeed multiple times try to contact uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson's office in Chicago for uh, interview request and or for comment. Uh, they never acknowledged that we even had contacted them. I'm joined today by Kata Truss. She's a Chicago resident in the city, in the neighborhood of Austin. And Ms. Truss, I'm so sorry I had to interrupt you earlier, but you were talking about the historical disinvestment in black neighborhoods and how that makes uh, the possibility of losing Amundsen Park to a migrant shelter you know, that much more painful and infuriating. I just want to let you complete your thought there. I just wanted to say that this is the this, this is just the beginning. And when we talk about lacking resources, think about what's going to happen when these children begin to attend school. Some of them are already doing it. And because there's a language barrier, that means that they'll have to have additional resources, resources that will probably be taken away from black kids and given to them because they'll have the need. And this also begs to ask, What happens to those teachers who don't speak the language, those teachers who can't communicate with those students? What happens to them? See, these are things that we have to talk about. We have to think about. We have to have conversations about Mm -hmm. Mm. what happens when we can't continue to do life, to have life as we've known it, because we have to have ourselves pushed aside for someone else. And, you know, the Black community has always been a welcoming community. We've always accepted things and people with open arms. And I think that we're at the point where we're saying, no, hold on, wait a minute. We're already under-resourced. We're not necessarily willing to step back and allow, allow the small resources that are the crumbs that you throw us 
to be divided. There's not enough for us mm. as it is. Mm-hmm. And so you're asking us to step aside. Just think about before the migrant crisis happened here in the city of Chicago, we had over 60, 65,000 people who were homeless here. Mm-hmm. We're taking care of migrants and we're still not taking care of the base that was already here. Yeah. You know, Ms. Trust, let me just uh, st- step in here because this is something that is so evident in um, what's happening in Chicago about people who generally have the same set of values, finding themselves really at odds with each other because of wanting to be compassionate for migrants that are coming into the city versus also, as you said, recognizing the current reality for many Chicagoans as it already exists. So just for a moment here, I want to bring in uh, a slightly different perspective. Sara Izquierdo is co-founder of the Mobile Migrant Health Team in Chicago. It's a group of around 250 volunteers, doctors, medical students, lawyers, and social workers, food service professionals, too. The team provides aid to newly arrived migrants and anyone else experiencing homelessness in the city. By the way, the Mobile Migrant Health Team is not funded by the city of Chicago. Sarah herself is a medical student at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And at first, her family, which runs a local Peruvian restaurant, was donating trays of food to migrants sheltering in police stations. So that's when she co-founded the Mobile Migrant Health Team, as the number of migrants arriving in Chicago began to overwhelm the city's shelter system. My own family is a family of immigrants. So I really would have appreciated, let's say... You know, it was my own dad or someone in my family who had come and was sick, that they would have had the opportunity that someone was looking out for them, too. There was probably a good week, week and a half, where people kept telling me that there was a child who was extremely malnourished, and it was probably us going out every single day and asking people, looking around, checking, seeing if we could find this family. And finally, someone gave us their phone number. And I was like, okay, here goes. When I finally made the call and I went to talk to them and everything, they were in a uh, shelter here in Chicago that also is an auditorium. And they had moved around to maybe three different police stations because of the medical complexities of the child. A shelter that had taken them in previously did not feel comfortable with them staying there, which landed them back in a police station. And our physician said, this kid needs to go to the emergency room right away. So the father said, okay, let's go. Can you come with us? And I was like, yeah, I'll come with you. Of course I'll come with you. And so that evening in the emergency room, we had just spent the entire time just talking uh we were playing games to distract him and all the way up until maybe 4 or 5 a.m it was just like a fulfilling experience being able to at least be there with someone there are communities in chicago that have been disenfranchised since forever that is just the truth so it's really hard for me to hear people say especially in local government. Chicago needs to invest in our communities. When they had the option to do that, and they haven't been, 
it's just much easier now to place the blame on newly arrived migrants than take responsibility for the things that local government should have been doing since forever. The food distribution to police stations where people are staying is almost entirely based on volunteer infrastructure. A lot of small businesses and people coming together and creating schedules to deliver breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There is no reason why there should be all of these small family businesses donating food when we could be paying them to take on this responsibility. To me, this is not an either or type of situation. It is a situation where we can use money that's already going to be spent no matter what because we are in a crisis, but we can use it in an intelligent way to make sure that we are giving back and investing in people who have been disenfranchised. That's Sarah Izquierdo, co-founder of the Mobile Migrant Health Team in Chicago. Well, I want to bring David Moore into the conversation now. He's an alderman for the 17th Ward on Chicago's South Side. Alderman Moore, welcome to On Point. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So one of the things that links what Ms. Truss has been telling us about uh, the Austin neighborhood and what you heard Sarah Izquierdo just say there is they're seeing a mutual failure in uh, governance in Chicago that's uh, exacerbated this crisis. How do you respond to that? First of all, let me put this in um, context um, from the beginning because there are a lot of people who um, are confused or people that say things about um, Harold Washington is the one who um, really initiated um, the Sanctuary City um, Ordinance. And yes, that's partially true. But the partially true in that is, and he was clearly, and he stated when he um, put it out there, it was that the city was not going to help um, ICE um, arrest people or uh, if people are arrested, um, send send them to ICE if they didn't have if they were here illegal, they were not going to do ICE's job for them. Mm. So I want people to put that in perspective. And that's and even when um, uh, Rahm Emanuel, I think, um, brought it back up under his uh, administration and, and stated it again and shored it up, it was a situation when the, um, the Republican um, Donald Trump's um, administration was in and um, the— the, the situation came up and it came about, hey, we're not going to be deporting. And so that was the focus. It wasn't about um, sanctuary. We just open our open up the um, borders of Chicago or the lines of Chicago to bring everybody in. So let's let's start there first. Now, let's go on. Now, this situation begins to happen and the governor of um, Texas began to bus people here. But not only the governor of Texas, you have the Catholic charities who's supposed to be handling things at the border and getting paid for are actually paying you the government money to put migrants on the planes to ship them here and then get some extra money to give them rental housing and other things. So they're getting over like a fat red in a cheese factory. So we got to make sure we know the context of that as well. Now, let's bring it now to as they come in and the decisions that you have to make as a leader, as a as a mayor. Um, 
um, when you have to make decisions, you make decisions both for the, your voters and you have to make it based on your moral compass or what you're able to sleep with that night. You ask me if I'm mayor, well, I keep that bus moving all the way to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and put it at the doorstep of um, 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 Joe Biden because he's the cause of it. Well, you got, you morally, he may feel I cannot do that. You so, mm-hmm. but is it morally okay for them to be sleeping on the ground floor, on on the floors of um, police stations? So it's a tough battle that um, each administration and each leader has to deal with. I would do something different and keep them moving um, towards um, towards um, Pennsylvania Avenue, or send them back, or however you want to do it. My thing would be send them to sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue and make the um, president um, act. Now here's the other situation. Well, actually, Alderman, can I just jump in here there because uh, so so. Th- that's a very, I mean, uh, a bold and provocative idea. But I want to also just refocus for a moment on the decisions that have been made in the city of Chicago um, on the money that has been made available for, uh, you know, assistance for this crisis, both from the state um, and, you know, the federal government, right? Because the Biden administration um, did send us a... Uh, a comment from the White House saying that they have provided communities across the country who were supporting recently arrived migrants with all of the $1 billion in grant funding that Congress has appropriated. So have those funds been used uh, in the best way in Chicago? Well, and that's why I, that's why I was going. Okay. So we had first we had a fifty one million dollars that was put up for city money, which I voted against because that was that wrecked city state um, city dollars that was being taken away from um, from our um, residents. Then that was another, if I'm correct, maybe another eleven or twenty million dollars in um, federal emergency FEMA money from the state, and then the federal government put in another. 20 million. So when you talk about a billion dollars that they sent around, 20 million that came to the city of Chicago was just a drop in the bucket. Mm-hmm. So the federal government really haven't stepped up. Now, here's the situation that I've, that I've been talking about when you're talking about a strategy and a plan now that you're here. That if you're going to take the um, initiative and you're not going to send it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or push them wherever you would need to push people to make this federal government step up, then you have to have a plan. And part of that plan should always include um, the community and the elected officials. We were told by this administration that they were not going to ask permission from the aldermen or they were not going to ask permission from the residents that they were going to, when they make a decision, by the time they come out to the community, all they're doing is telling the process. Right. And so so when um, Hoya Ramirez was telling her constituents and they're saying, oh, you knew about this, she did not know about it. She was not lying. And so and so that that's the problem here when you're not effectively communicating um, with the residents. And mm-hmm. so that's where we are right now. And uh, and, and I appreciate um, Kata so much. She, she's she been a, a, a fighter f- on, on the forefront. But going back to what your, I can't recall your last speaker's name, she's Sarah, absolutely yeah. Yeah, go Sorrow. Ahead. She's absolutely right. And I'm not going to I'm not going to let people get a pass when you've had, especially under the um, both the um, Lori Lightfoot administration and under the Rahm Emanuel. I mean, and under this administration, a little bit under the Rahm Emanuel administration, where the city government has had from a black elected official standpoint, um, the power to move a lot of things in the black community collectively, and that hasn't happened. Mm. As, as well as at the state level, where you got you, where you have a speaker and you have a lot of black p- 
people in leadership that can really do a lot for the black community. And collectively, those voices have not come together to work on a common agenda. Okay. And that's what I'm frustrated about. And that's what um, black Chicago is to be frustrated about. And as they are coming together and mobilizing under this crisis, they should keep that mobilization organized so they can dictate what they want from their um, um, government. Right. And if they're not delivering them, then get those people out of there. Okay. So, Ms. Truss, I'm going to come back to you here in a second, but I want to just um, zoom out for a little bit uh, and recognize that the origin of how this crisis has moved into northern cities is the fact that there are so many migrants uh, requesting asylum uh, and crossing the southern border, which is why Texas Governor Greg Abbott has very vociferously defended his busing program, saying it's absolutely necessary to take pressure off border towns in Texas that they themselves are not equipped to handle. The rationale for the busing began when I was talking to local officials, whether it be in Eagle Pass or Del Rio or other small communities on the border. And they were saying that the, the high volume number of migrants being dropped off by the Biden administration was unsustainable. They had zero ability to deal with it, as opposed to them being uh, cities of the population of 8 million people. They were communities of sometimes 8,000 or 18,000 people. And they, they, they themselves were saying, listen, we're, we're going to have to find some relief valve here uh, and move people to some other city by buses. And we said, well, we, we as a state will take over that operation. And thus began the busing process. That's Texas Governor Greg Abbott there. And by the way, I want to note that this month, Illinois Representative Jonathan Jackson sent a letter to the attorney general, to Merrick Garland, calling for a federal investigation into uh, Texas busing migrants north. Uh, last October, the attorney general uh, in Washington, D.C., opened another diff- uh, investigation. And also this summer, Los Angeles, the city council there, voted on two motions to investigate Governor Abbott as well. Cut a truss. Um, we've got a minute till our next break, but you heard what the governor said there that, you know, why, uh, you know, contain the, try to contain the problem to communities of 8,000 when maybe American communities of 8 million, as he said, could do a better job in handling the influx. What do you think? I think that Governor Abbott, um, well, what I really think about him, I can't express on the air in public, but um, and so I'm going to leave that right there. Mm-hmm. I think that is full of crap, but I do um, feel that he is right. He is right when he says that we are not dealing with this border crisis. We're just not dealing with it. And, you know, one of the things that you said, um, you ask about the money and about city council approving the budget. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, Alderman Moore did vote against it. But we're talking about investigating things. I would really love for us to investigate favorite healthcare staffing who has billed the city $17,000 per month for housekeepers, one housekeeper, $24,000 a month for security officers. Our police don't even make this kind of money. Mm. And then $64,000 a month for nurses. Yeah, Ms. Trust, stand by for just a moment here because the question of the money is a big one. And when we come back, we're going to hear a, a little bit from what the, uh, the, excuse me, the governor of Illinois has said and the political implications as well. So we'll be back. This is On Point.
did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Today we're talking about the migrant crisis in America's northern cities, specifically looking at all that has been happening in Chicago, Illinois. I'm joined today by Alderman David Morey, represents the 17th Ward in Chicago, and Kata Truss is with us as well. She's a Chicago resident in the city's Austin neighborhood and is a plaintiff in a lawsuit seeking to stop the use of a uh, essential community center or stop it from being turned into a migrant shelter. And once again, I just want to remind folks that we did reach out to Mayor Brandon Johnson's office multiple times for comment or interview. They never responded to any of our requests. Now, I do want to say that obviously this has been a major issue, not just in the city, but across the state of Illinois. So Governor J.B. Pritzker has often said that he sees the problem as a federal one and that the Biden administration needs to do more to solve it. He was on CBS's Face the Nation a little earlier this month talking about his request for a centralized office within the Biden administration to deal with migration. There are so many departments that are responsible for helping to care for these asylum seekers, uh, as well as managing them as they cross the border. Uh, I, I hope that they will put one office together. I know the White House right now is coordinating it, but they need one office, and in my opinion, one person at the head of that office that we can call, that we can work with to coordinate. Because look, we're providing shelter as best we can and providing for the needs of these folks arriving in Chicago. Uh, and as I say, we're a welcoming state and, and we understand the humanitarian crisis that we're addressing. Mm-hmm. But we can't address this all by ourselves and we need help from the White House. That's uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Now, we did uh, contact the White House for comment and the White House spokesperson said, Uh, sent a comment to us saying, quote, without congressional action, this administration has been working to build a safe, orderly and humane immigration system. We've led the largest expansion of lawful pathways for immigration in decades while putting in place policies to process individuals in a fair and fast manner, end quote. That's from a White House spokesperson. Well, here's another thing that uh, Governor Pritzker said specifically about why he thinks Texas Governor Greg Abbott starting started the busing program uh, and sending migrants to northern cities. No doubt that is what uh, Governor Abbott hopes is that it will cause chaos in the places where he's sending asylum seekers. And I think that the more that people feed into that at the local level, the more likely it is that he will increase the number of buses. And you're seeing that now. Kata Truss, this has had a major impact. The crisis in, in Austin, in the neighborhood you live in specifically, it's had a major impact on how you see Mayor Johnson and the Democratic Party as well. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that? 
Well, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we like to say that this is a democracy and the Democratic Party prides themselves on being the party of democracy. But when you neglect to listen to the people, when you neglect to hear what the people in this democracy that you are so proud of are saying, because isn't that the basis of democracy is the voice of the people? Well, our voices are not being heard. At the top of the hour, you mentioned that you reached out to Mayor Johnson's office and you didn't get a response. Well, we're the constituents of Chicago and we've reached out to the mayor's office as well. And we have not gotten a response either. As a matter of fact, I have reached out to every single elected official that represents this community and not one has returned a phone call Set up, a, uh, set up a meeting after having one requested, not one. And so when you talk about Democrat, when you mention the word Democrat to me, I, I just lose my mind. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the rest of Chicago is doing, but I'm done with the Democratic Party. I am officially done. I don't know if that means that I'll be stepping over to Republicans or if I'll be looking for more independent candidates, but what it does mean is two things. I will not be voting based on color. I will be voting based on substance. I will be voting based on what the person stands for. I will be voting based on people who represent my interests. Right now, that is not the Democratic Party. Mm. And with the Democratic Convention coming here in June, I'm telling you, these people better get their acts together because I am not the only black person in Chicago who feels this way. And the Democrats better pay attention because all it takes is 10 percent of the black vote to switch and they've lost everything. Mm -hmm. So they better pay attention. Right. Because I'm just one person, but I'm sure I'm not the only one. Well, Kata Truss, a resident in Chicago's Austin neighborhood, She's also a plaintiff in a lawsuit seeking, seeking to stop the city of Chicago from turning the Amundsen Community Center into housing for migrants. Ms. Truss, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Alderman Moore, I've just got one more question for you, given what Ms. Truss just said. Um, do you see this migrant crisis as sowing some, very, some um, perhaps unprecedented divisions amongst Chicago Democrats that might end up, uh, you know, harming uh, the party, creating divisions, political divisions that uh, that are, will be difficult to overcome. It was happening before that, and this is mm -hmm. going to help push it over. This is, there's, you, you ask, when I was running for Secretary of State, and as I was talking to more and more young people, um, they, they were, they're disenfranchised disenfranchised from voting because of a lot of the Democratic um, policies or non-policies for um, helping our youth, helping our unemployed for many years. And so they're, they're leaning towards independence, and I don't blame them. They should. And and, and to the point what kind of trust, and I tell everybody, in politics, there's no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests. And she's 
right. People better begin to vote their interest, and whether that and whether that's independent or or whoever. Um, if you're going to stand with people, because the Democratic Party has taken, especially the black vote and the black communities, for granted. I see it in in unions. I see it. That's why we're constantly fighting for everything. We we keep putting these people in, and but you're still not giving them agenda. Stop putting people in office and don't give them a, an agenda to live by. And so I encourage my residents to do it every time in the 17th Ward. I was at a meeting le- le- just the other night. I, it was a, something that I wanted to support, but my residents said, we don't want it. Guess who I'm standing with? Mm. My residents, because it's their interest that matters. And so unless it's something that affects my moral compass or me, I cannot sleep at night um, because I'm making a, more, a bad moral decision, I'm going to always side with my residents. Mm. And so that's what that's what these Democrats have not been doing. And so she's not off base, but it hasn't. It's, it was happening long before the migrant crisis. And this is going to push more people over as well, according, according to what um, Kata is saying. And yeah. I agree with her. Well, Alderman David Moore represents the 17th Ward on Chicago's South Side. Alderman, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, Chicago obviously is experiencing a lot right now, but it's just one example of tumult that's happening across northern cities that are receiving uh, migrants from uh, southern states. This is a national issue, clearly. And just yesterday, minutes after his election as Speaker of the House, Republican Representative Mike Johnson grabbed the gavel and almost instantly talked about immigration. We have a catastrophe at our southern border. The Senate and the White House can no longer ignore the problem. From Texas to New York, wave after wave of illegal migrants are stressing our communities to their breaking points. We we know that our streets are being flooded with fentanyl, and all of our communities, children, and even adults are dying from it. The status quo is unacceptable. Inaction is unacceptable, and we must come together and address the broken border. We have to do it. Newly elected Speaker of the House, Republican Representative Mike Johnson. Uh, Let's hear just briefly from a couple of other states led by states and cities led by Democrats, Massachusetts being one of them. The state shelter system in Massachusetts is reaching its capacity. And last week, Governor Maura Healey said that fairly soon, Massachusetts will no longer be able to guarantee a place to stay for new arrivals. That's despite a state law that gives a right to shelter uh, for families with children and pregnant women who no longer have any other access to housing. Our shelter system cannot expand indefinitely. This level of demand is not sustainable. This is a federal problem that demands a federal solution. Families are coming in through the federal system, and the federal government must step up to support them. Massachusetts Governor Democrat Maura Healey over in New York City. More than 130,000 migrants have arrived there since the spring of last year. And here's what Mayor Eric Adams said about the issue just last month. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City destroy New York City. All right. Well, that's New York Mayor Eric Adams. Joining us now is Jack Beatty. He's On Point's news analyst and, of course, host of our new weekly Jackpod, but he's joining us today on the program. Jack, welcome back to you. 
Hello, Magna. Okay, Jack, so we just heard some very strong language, not just from residents and representatives in Chicago, but, you know, Mayor Adams saying this is going to destroy New York City. On the one hand, it seems like this could be the kind of forceful language that state and local leaders use when they're trying to get the federal government's attention. Uh, perhaps it'll take a little bit more than a migrant crisis to destroy New York. But on the other hand, do you see this as being potentially a make-or-break issue for the Biden administration? It's a very serious issue politically. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's one of those ideal issues for Republicans. It divides Democrats and it unites Republicans. That's, the, that's what you want in politics, you know, an issue that will bring your people together and divide the other guys. And we just have heard the divisions, the feeling mistrust was, expl- was uh, expressing of being neglected, of being ignored, of not being heard, of being supplanted, if you will, even being replaced. Uh, and, and that is um, in the lexicon of the, you know, Trumpist appeal. They're coming. They're taking your place. The government is the open borders. Be afraid of fentanyl. Be afraid of crime. That is ideal circumstances for uh, a, a Trump uh, a re-election. Okay, so let's just... Um... Uh, give voice to the Biden administration's response to all of this, because, of course, they did send us a statement back, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, Jack. And and here's what they said. You know, the state and local leaders may be kicking the can over to the Biden administration, but the White House says, quote, President Biden has repeatedly called on Congress to pass comprehensive immigration reform since his first day in office. And then they go on to say House Republicans continue to block the reform the immigration system needs. And earlier this year, they voted to eliminate uh, 2,000 customs and border protection agents, end quote. I mean, ultimately, Jack, the buck has to stop somewhere. It does. And, you know, I think we have seen... Republicans do not want a solution to this uh, crisis. This is now an asylum crisis, by the way. You know, what uh, the, the asylum system that was designed right in, around the late 70s, 1980, was, was supposed to be people were supposed to come on a case-by-case basis. It was about individuals. It is now a... The asylum system is now uh, the the channel for mass migration, and we're not. The bureaucracy isn't set up to handle it. the The government has been overwhelmed in handling it, and uh, and 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 the Republicans don't. They want the issue. They don't want a solution. They torpedoed uh, immigration reform under President Obama because they they they're. Their right wing said no. The, the talk show host people said no. They want the issue because the issue is poison for Democrats. And, and so there's a stalemate in terms of uh, reforming the asylum system and working out some way in which uh, people from countries like Venezuela and Nicaragua and Cuba who can't be sent back because we have no relations with those mm-hmm. countries— uh, they're they're coming and just staying in our cities and and what's to be done with them? Okay, well I want to just uh, I'm going to come back to the responsibility that's held by the president of the United States here in just a moment. But I do want to note when you're talking about the issue, Jack, uh, how that issue is being discussed uh, amongst the right wing of the Republican Party, which now essentially is most of the party, specifically what former President Donald Trump has been saying 
quite recently. In an interview last month for the right-wing news uh, news site, The National Pulse, he basically used language that echoed um, chilling language that was once used in Nazi Germany. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, it's poisoning the blood of our country. And by the way, that poisoning of the blood echoes language that none other than Adolf Hitler used when he lamented the, quote, contamination of the blood in Mein Kampf. Jack, this is where we are with immigration and migration and asylum seeking, that in in a sense, is it not possible that the Biden administration has um, allowed itself to be captured so much by its fear of the extremism of the Trump camp that even in uh, appointing the vice president as sort of being in charge of dealing with uh, with border issues, they've been afraid to do as much as they possibly could because then it might give credence to any of the actions that were taken in the Trump administration regarding migration. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And each time that they have come close to Trump-like policies— you know, uh, remain in Mexico. Trump was that was Trump's policy. And now Biden has a new policy. But it's people say and then there's in other words, every time they've come close to anything like a Trumpist policy, the the immigrant rights groups and the progressive groups have said, no, you can't do that. When, when the issue came about sending back uh, Haitians, the Congressional Black Caucus screamed, you can't do that. That's you're handling. You're, you're whipping these people. Remember the, those terrible scenes mm-hmm. at the border? Uh, so the Democrats are caught between their progressive constituency, which doesn't want a, a crackdown, and the Republican right, which wants the issue which wants the issue that divides Democrats and unites Republicans. Well, it's leading to a kind of policy paralysis, which is driving this crisis to no end in sight, as we heard someone else earlier in the show say. Well, Jack Beatty, thank you so much for joining us today. And while we have a second, I want to give everyone a plug for to listen to The Jackpod, which is our special Friday podcast drop featuring Jack's unique analysis on really the news that you need to know. So, Jack, looking forward to hearing you in the podcast feed tomorrow, okay? Thank you. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.